0: Green Pastures are the weekly devotions published by Vineyard Boise, consisting of four parts, the reading, the reflection, the question, and the prayer. Green Pastures for Wednesday, August 23rd. Participants in the story. Today's scripture reading is found in Luke 24, verses 25 through 32, from the message translation, which reads, Then he said to them, So thick-headed... So slow-hearted, why can't you simply believe all that the prophets said? Don't you see that these things had to happen, that the Messiah had to suffer and only then enter into his glory? Then he started at the beginning with the books of Moses and went on through all the prophets, pointing out everything in the scriptures that referred to him. They came to the edge of the village where they were headed. He acted as if he were going on, but they pressed him. Stay and have supper with us. It's nearly evening. The day is done. So he went in with them. Here is what happened. He sat down at the table with them, taking the bread he blessed and broke and gave it to them. At that moment, open-eyed, wide-eyed, they recognized him, and then he disappeared. Back and forth they talked. Didn't we feel on fire as he conversed with us on the road, as he opened the scriptures for us? This is God's Word. Remember that Don Trader painting? This is a bit like an Emmaus painting. At least, that's what I think those two travelers to Emmaus experienced as the stranger took them on a tour de force through Moses and the prophets. He did more than explain. He drew them into the narrative in such a way as it came alive. They finally got it. Or perhaps better, it finally got them. Which is what we want to have happen to us with Joshua. Here's a bit more from Carmen Joy Imes in her book Bearing God's Name, Why Sinai Still Matters, as she continues with the Dawn Treader painting analogy as applied to the narrative at Sinai. Let what she applies to Sinai, once again, apply to Joshua. She writes, The Bible shows us what really happened, right? Not exactly. As with any form of art, the Bible is selective. We don't know everything about Israel's time at Sinai, in fact, we know relatively little. Did they do business with Nabataean traders? Did they camp together as extended families? Did the women swap manna recipes? Did the elders sing around the campfires? Did the men go on hunting expeditions? What games did the children play? We just don't know. The Bible doesn't say. Exodus is selective in its telling of the events at Sinai. Paintings are not just selective. They also depict reality from a particular perspective. The same is true of narrative in the Bible. We don't experience Sinai through the eyes of Moses' wife or his kids. We don't know how Joshua feels about joining Moses on the mountain. We don't hear the fighting men spin stories about the battle with the Amalekites. Paintings and narratives are also interpretive. They convey the way an artist feels about the subject. They persuade us to see things the artist's way. Biblical narratives do not just report events as they can be observed with a naked eye. Though to say that reading biblical narrative is like viewing a painting is not to suggest that it's unhistorical. A painting has the potential to accurately and powerfully depict a historical event, inspiring generations of viewers to reflect upon and remember what was most significant about that event. Take, for example, the painting by Jacques-Louis David, titled the death of socrates okay so go ahead google it and look at the painting i'll wait times continues david depicts socrates surrounded by his disciples on the verge of drinking his death sentence of poison he uses the final moments of his life as another teachable moment remains stoic in the face of death plato from whom we learned the story of socrates death was not present in these final moments of Socrates' life, yet David paints him slouching at the foot of the bed, his back to his friend. Why include such an inaccuracy in this painting? Because David is a genius. He knew Plato's deep grief over Socrates' death, By depicting him in the room, but looking away, the artist accurately captured Plato's disposition towards the death of his esteemed colleague, without making the spurious claim that Plato witnessed it. If Plato had been missing from the painting, we would lose this central point the artist was trying to make, a point that creatively conveys the truth of history. Authors of the biblical text have also expressed the truth using their own creative artistry. To say that the Bible is a painting does not make it static. Something marvelous happens when we immerse ourselves in his artistry. It becomes our own story, and we become a participant. If this hasn't happened to you yet, stay tuned. Things are gonna get personal. All right, this, this is where we need to go with Joshua. Not a static story, but a dynamic narrative whose creative artistry draws us in, making the story ours and making us participants as the story unfolds, as our hearts burn within us, as he opens to us the scriptures. So, as we pause for a moment of personal reflection and prayer, ponder... How do we see biblical narratives go from being static stories that either bore us or make us want to argue with them into dynamic narratives that become our own stories, making us participants and making it personal? How do we do this with a narrative like Joshua? Lord. Speak to us through the pages of this ancient narrative, this ancient text of wars and campaigns, of battles and divine encounters, as well as of the moral dilemmas posed by such wars and campaigns and battles. Draw me to the words, even here, that you intend me to carry for the journey ahead, centering truth, steadying realities, spiritual lifelines, to help me root into you as I pass through my own Jordan and stare down my own wars and battles and conflicts. Through it all, remind me that I don't save the day, this day or any day, but that you do. And let me rest in that reality. To your mercies.